Hi, everyone. I'm John Strasner. And I'm Berta Alexander. And this is Break Some Dishes, an Imagine a Place production. We're looking to places where radical change and transformation are happening. We're talking to people who cross boundaries of their disciplines to use design as a tool to solve the world's most pressing problems. Let's break some dishes. Verda, how's it going? Hey, John. Going pretty good. Are you ready for another Neocon Live version or what? Of course. Absolutely. What did you think of the first one? I thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought we were just getting our sea legs day one, and we were only going to do it one day, weren't we? Yeah. And then we were having so much fun that we decided to do a second day, and I'd say the second day was crazier, more hectic, a lot more energy, but in some ways a lot more fun too. And It was. Here we are uh, with our second live episode, and, and I think that we have a pretty cool formula here. Because, you know, the fun thing about these live podcasts is they're very spontaneous and energetic. And I think we both love the way we could feel the buzz of Neocon in the background when we were talking to everybody. Yeah, I and I, you, I think we both love a great conversation, especially when it revolves around talking about subjects that are challenging or difficult or that, that need to be addressed, right? Yeah. So this is just our little intro to the episode. So I don't want to give away too much. But we had your friend Paul from Ecomedes. And he talked a little bit about what Ecomedes does and that sort of amazing resource for designers. That was a lot of fun. Uh, And then we talked to Elizabeth Whalen, who's a good friend of mine, a very talented textile designer. She showed us some cool things. We then we had David Cordell on. A designer. A designer. Can you believe we actually had a designer on? I know. I don't think we've had a designer on our podcast. Well, we don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't like to hear what designers have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We always love to hear what designers have to say. David is uh, a very, very um, brilliant designer, and we had a great conversation with him. And then we talked to Rebecca Matheny from the Ohio State University. Yeah. Because we're very smart, and we talk to professors. That's how we roll. Well, and she has a great take on sustainability and does this really interesting studio called Scrap Culture. So we dove in a little bit more on that. And we've had her on the podcast before. She's a great resource and I love having conversations with her. Yes. And then speaking of having on the podcast before, we had our friends Dave Bryant and Judd Rosengard from Heirloom. Yep. So they, they rounded out the podcast hot seat episode two. Yeah, we had a lot of fun conversation and just continuing the buzz of Neocon in the background. And it was energizing for me. And I'm hoping that it's energizing for you all to hear these conversations. Yeah, so enjoy. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and get started. John's up and about looking for something. <laughs> so, I'm, all right. I met Paul through Mortar. Yes. It was Amy, right? Yes. That reached out to me and said, hey, there's this, this great database. And I'm like, oh, a, a, a new database? Fantastic. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't realize that it's been around for a while. And I wish I'd known last year because op- at, my, at my own firm, we spent considerable resources spinning our wheels trying to m- figure out how to... We didn't want a massive database. We just wanted a database of the products that we most use. Yeah. But and it was so hard to like tabulate and categorize. And we went round and round and round with an intern. And then here you are with the most amazing product. Thank you. <laughs> it is a database, a spreadsheet that's super easy to search. And you have now parted, partnered with Mortar, yes. who's going to help your advertising yeah, <laughs> and I, getting the word out. I never thought that we'd be so excited about a database. But here we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we take all the database part and hide it into something that's more usable, which is a website. We all search on websites to go find the best place to eat and drink in Neocon. So we just said, why don't we use that same design parameter? And now with Mortar, you can be inspired by a beautiful installation image of a successful project 
and then say, what are all the ingredients in that recipe? And then boom, whether it's OFS or Interface or Armstrong Sales, all that data is available to you so you can make an informed, eco-intelligent decision. People that don't know Mortar, it's a searchable visual database. Visual database, and now Ecomedes is a searchable environmental database backed by 81 different pieces of data that comes from certifications and over 3,000 attributes that designers can hone in on and say, I'm looking for something that's cradle to cradle, lead compliant, and has an EPD and an HPD. And then boom, with one click, you see every brand that has those three pieces of data, and then you go visually find it, and then have all the data, so we do the homework for the designer. Isn't that amazing? You can go to one place and you can, and it'll it'll help you with, usually you have to look at an EPD label or a Declare label or a Living living Challenge label and it's, this is all in one place. Wow. And it's, it's, and it's condensed. Verdi, you'll be able to lower your design fees now. Well, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> it saves a lot of designers time, a lot. But we don't want to lower design fees. And, I was even being sarcastic. and manufacturers' time, because what we were doing before was sending a, a, note, a letter, a, a form to our to our manufacturers and say we want to oh, make sure that there's what what kind of red list chemicals are in this product, if there are any, and what you're doing around circularity and take like we had this big long questionnaire, and every poor manufacturer's like I'm getting a questionnaire from every designer, yeah. and the information's yeah. already out there but it was so hard to search and find and, and collate that we were well, all reinventing the wheel will you Verda will you put this in your playbook somehow yeah when we update it yeah. again we should, yeah absolutely yeah we have a big resource list in our playbook but anyways yeah. yeah so I mean what we want to do is we want to make it easier so rather than like reducing design fees what we want to do is make you guys better at doing your jobs that are creative and not make you guys data statisticians mathematicians right. like if you're good at that you might have gone to engineering school I'm horrible at drawing I'm very bad at visuals so I decided to make the spreadsheet more more easy to use and now you guys can use it to your advantage and happily not have as many value engineering cycles which add neither value nor engineering but really kind of do vision assassination for the designer. So we want to make that easier. Wait, Find the wait, you wait, want, he just dropped yeah. That was a good wait. point. We're not reducing design fees. We're, we're get, allowing ourselves more time to design and do the things we really yeah. want to be doing. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. but I was just going to draw back because you said, what did you say? Sounded like you said visual assassination. Yeah, vision assassination. <laughs> vision so like love CA it. Is like I want to know what vision CA. assassination Because is. It, it's hard. You guys take an idea from zero to one, like, like a startup from a blank piece of paper to visualizing and conceptualizing learning, that's very hard to do. And if you get added, oh, by the way, there's this 800,000 row spreadsheet with 42 columns, like that's the worst thing we can do. So we wanna make it easier for people to have the excitement to do sustainability because I believe the complexity constrains scaling. And we all now have more clients that wanna do green, you guys have never had an extended design horizon, right? Time is right. not ever, yeah. like, right. the butts no. and seat date never shifts. Everything no. else, like clients yeah. making changes, God knows how many changes you guys go through. So it's like, if you guys could just be more effective and also be proud because you guys draw stuff that then is in place for civilization for 20, 30, 100 years, why not give you the best palette to choose from? So yeah. we're really excited to be able to support that for you guys. I love that. And we have free. a responsibility. Yeah, you yeah. do. Right, and you're right. helping us make the right choices. And, and just tell us a little bit about the merger or the acquisition of Mortar. Yeah, so right. we, how does that work for you? We, we were a, a really cool technical database that had lots of good data. We had pictures and all that stuff. But what we learned is that when people are doing those early stage designs, it's very much like, oh, I'm going to go to in, the, in Instagram, Pinterest. Oh, yeah. And those are yeah. like, oh, really good like pictures of a plate. But you know, we all now have HelloFresh and all these things where it's like a picture. Ingredients are shipped to your door and you have the recipe like how to make it. We think that like you having HelloFresh delivered to your database or to your firm or to ASID, IIDA, you know, any of the big design firms already like pre-curated. It's like I'm a vegan. Well, you probably don't want to have to go through even a Whole Foods and go down the aisles and go, I got to look at labels. What if you walked in and just declared you were a vegan in our database or you only care about cradle to cradle and your beautiful playbook that you published is like an open architecture. This is the best way to do it. And you shared it yeah. with the world. Yeah. I mean, the more of that cooperation and collaboration like we heard yesterday at Mindful Materials is really what we get excited about because you guys are doing the hard work. We don't make anything. We don't certify anything. We just want to make the process easier so you guys can continue doing the beautiful, amazing work that you do. And I think designers have a hard time because a lot of clients that I sit in on Charette's for is like, they want everything. Yeah. 
They want you to evaluate against lead, living building challenge and well. They want some carbon number from you. They want HPDs out the wazoo. And it's like, yeah. my gosh, you guys are picking 1,500 on average in a typical interior product, 1,500 unique ingredients. Imagine going to a salad bar with that many ingredients and then someone telling you, can you give me the total sodium content? Oh my God, yeah, that puts it in perspective. <laughs> At Whole Foods, you just weigh it and they're like, well, this is how many pounds of salad bar you got. Yeah. Right. But when we do green, I think some of us have like, unfortunately got to a tendency where we want to know every single thing, like where'd the lettuce come from? And there's a great yeah. Portlandia episode about when they're like <laughs> picking a menu item and then they ask about the chicken. Oh yeah. And then they I go to episode. like the chicken farm. It's one of the best examples of like, <laughs> have we made this a little too difficult? Yeah. They come back like six months later, like no, this chicken is having a great life. He had a girlfriend. Like, We're not going to eat this chicken. He's going to Not organic the enough. Yeah, not organic <laughs> enough. So I think... We gotta right. make it more simple so more people come to the table. Yeah, yeah that's what we're yeah. dedicated to doing. So great work over key. there. It was that's, nice to hear both of you guys talk. Yeah. About, oh, yeah. thank you. And yeah, yeah that was fantastic. It's, what I love too is your your um, partnership with Mortar because we are visual people and yeah. and sustainable products are now catching up in terms of looks. You you can specify hemp and it doesn't look like it came from a hippie encampment anymore, yeah. right? And then your filtering tools are beyond. You can, yeah. like you said, you can click on whatever is important, whatever is required for that project and it'll it'll filter all of the how many million products? Eight hundred thousand total products from over ten thousand brands. Eight hundred thousand products. And a lot of them are definitely related specific to interior design. So but these are designers. So even though it's eight hundred thousand products, you know the designer's gonna be like, well what about this one? <laughs> there's a lot in there. I really need more. And there's a lot more. of interior products in <laughs> yeah. here as well. Yeah, that's so awesome. what's nice is more and more people are becoming transparent with their data and we're a very simple database to deal with. Yeah. We have manufacturers that are under $5 million in revenue. We have some of the biggest in the world yeah. that are multinational companies that have thousands of SKUs online. I think the idea is that designers just need a very robust palette, both visually and sustainably. Yeah. yeah. And if we can yeah. do that, you guys are doing all the hard work because you're making civilization greener one speck at a time. We better be. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, thank Paul. You guys and yeah, everyone, man. check it out ecomedies.com. So, Verda, um, let yeah. me introduce Elizabeth Whalen to you. Um, Hi, Elizabeth. She is Hi. a wildly talented textile designer. Um, used to have her studio right in Midtown, New York City, right in Manhattan. Um, I first met Elizabeth probably twenty over 20 years ago, probably over 20 years ago. Elizabeth worked really closely with um, Nils Diffriant on the Freedom Chair that Human Scale introduced. You've always been you know pushing the envelope with textile design and for elizabeth it's never really been about pretty textiles and um i ran into elizabeth yesterday just like i ran into pam light and i said come sit down with us for a while and talk a little bit we'd love to hear you know and by the way elizabeth lives in maine outside Bro portland maine no, right no, brooklyn, brooklyn maine brooklyn maine three, three hours up right? the coast and you were just in maine mm -hmm. portland portland. Oh, portland okay so Tell us what you're up to these days. What's going on? Sure. That's, so, I know that's a big um, question. I but. do love pretty textiles, so I want to say that. I just think that what I've um, the one thing that it was really great about working with um, Niels uh, for almost 15 years is that he had a, um, a requirement that as a textile designer, I start embracing performance and um, function, and um, I had to like it took the blinders off. So that really changed my practice. Um, the one thing I also want to say is that that attitude took me into other other textile areas like Nike and Toomey and some of these other places and it's really wonderful to see how things sort of cross-generate. So yeah. your question was... What so performance textiles. So, so it's performance function but then also now in, in fabrics there's so much actually happening to propel us in the future. So some of the things that I've been working on in the last couple of years are smart fabrics, so fabrics that can actually communicate to you, and um, whether it's visually communicate or communicate through audio, um, uh, you know, you have an app on your phone and the app triggers a speaker and the speaker then speaks to you. Speaker or, in the fabric? It's right in the fabric. Oh, and wow. So there's a lot, I, I pointed out because that's only one of many things that are ha that's happening. Like engineers have sort of discovered that they can shrink, you know, computer or all these different like <laughs> incredible like little chips into the size of a, a, a yarn. And then that we can, it can be put into a fabric. And so the fabric can now move beyond 
just the visual and touch um, senses, but into sound and some other things. So that's like one area, and it's kind of a big, wide open area. But um, you know, I love interiors. It's my first, my first love. So I'm working on some new, different things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that I'm showing for the first time, something I've patented. And, can you uh, talk about it yet? Sure, I can yeah. talk about it. It's I actually have it with me, but um, I don't know. Can you? Yeah, is it? Uh, yeah, pull uh, it out. I'll, I am eloquent, Elizabeth, when it comes to uh, descriptive. I can I can tell listeners exactly what I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah, so yeah, we're audio only, so <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. So I um, a couple years ago, um, I proposed a project to this um, organization in Cambridge called AFOA, and um, it's uh, called the, it stands for the Advanced Functional Fabrics of America, which is a very sort of dry name, but they're doing very futuristic things, but they chose 24 projects across the country, textile projects that they saw as uh, textile entrepreneurial projects, and they took us through a one-year program with our projects, that was the um, the innovation core curriculum that the National Science Foundation teaches. Yeah. And so my project was a um, it was a multi-layer fabric that I'm calling Artemis, and it was born. Uh, the genesis of this fabric is sort of in two points. One is that there was a um, seating. Uh, people like mesh seating, and I've designed for mesh seating, but it's not always the most comfortable thing to be um, sitting on for hours and hours at end. So there were you know. Um, there and you can see it even here they come up with small upholstery pads and so yeah, I thought well yeah. what if a fabric could actually be that this pad this fabric is it's cushion obviously it's, yeah it's so like I've woven in a whole cushion component a breathability component and it's as comfortable as if you were sitting so on it's something like, like honeycomb this. yeah cardboard honeycomb but it's all fabric or like bubble wrap but it's all so, fabric and it has right. like so a it can middle. be woven on a conventional double yeah, b and loom so, so this cool. is like i've designed it for seating and you can do any upholstery design or i can do any upholstery design i want on it and i can about, shape it what about shoes what about you could do shoes you could right? do some people so all sorts of different things i'm gonna that, throw um an environmental a climate point out at you mm -hmm. but you talk about material minimizing or you know minimizing our use to be able to eliminate the use of foam yes. in a chair yep. that is, that's huge right so what, that, a, that what an was, amazing impact right so actually i kind of take this out because this is what i was trying to replace and um yeah. in my the, in my project mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I had to um, interview over 100 people in industry. So I interviewed about 106 people and chair manufacturers, architects, facilities managers. And I never told them that I, what I was designing, but I asked them what their pain points were. And, you know, there were basically four points that they kept coming back to. And that was durability, sustainability, breathability, and cleanability. So how are you addressing sustainability right now? And in this, yeah. Well, one, I mean, aside the, from the first thing you can do is eliminate the foam. The yeah, second thing you could do is that we can make this all one material. So if I wanted to make this all out of nylon, I could make it out of not all out of nylon with the possibility that that could be uh, removed and melted down and perhaps recycled. I don't know all the um, after life yeah. procedures, but um, we're using um, recyclable polyesters or renewable yarns in the making of this. Um, and um, so we see the first big step is that we can eliminate this. And the next big step would be that we could possibly do yarns that either can be renewed and recycled or that can be buried and never have to see the light of day again, more natural yarns. And then finally, we're really interested in the idea of actually weaving off a cushion. One of the biggest problems that we also heard was that there was a lot sustainability is also in the amount of textile waste the textile world has a lot of work to do in sustainability it does. and that's a big understatement and so um what if we could actually weave a cushion off a loom so that you didn't actually have to cut up all this fabric but you could actually have it to shape wow that's just an idea at this point but it, it's being done on um, knitting machines very very well so we're thinking you know what if we could do that but yeah one step at a time yeah so yeah Beautiful. It's really cool yeah. stuff. Oh my god, awesome! <laughs> and I love, yeah, I love how you're thinking out of the box to reduce waste and get rid of materials that we don't need. Yeah, and also to make a, a better product. I mean, we yeah. actually, yeah, we really believe that this can be more comfortable than the thinner cushions that are out there. And we know breathability is, well, it's really, I should call it air permeability. Breathability means something you know gives off the vapor as, as much as absorbs um, and moves air around. Yeah. But um, that's become really important, especially after the pandemic. 
Yeah, super innovative product. I wish be, everybody could see it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. It's amazing. I, I want to keep those swatches because they're, they're so cool. <laughs> Thanks, John. But good for you, Elizabeth. Glad that you're out there innovating and pushing the envelope. That's what you do. So I was really excited to kind of hear what you were up to. So thanks for sharing. You're and most enjoy welcome. Enjoy your Neocon. Well, thank you. It's always <laughs> a delight. Nice to meet you. We're with, right now, David Cordell, Perkins and Will. And I introduced David a few minutes ago to my friend Elizabeth Whalen, and I said he's probably, technically, the smartest designer I know. Sorry, Verda. Uh, it's okay. I know. He's the second <laughs> smartest designer okay. I've met. And the work that David has done on ASID's Climate Health and Equity Committee is immeasurable. And Verda and I really haven't had a chance to talk to a designer yet really specifically about the world of um, environmentally less impactful interior design, right? And I thought it'd be great to, to get his perspective, what he's seen at Neocon, what are some of the challenges today? Are you seeing the industry move in the right direction? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are you downright frustrated? Where's your head? <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us That's today. That's a lot of questions. I know. Yeah. All I know. at once. I know. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> you have two minutes to answer okay, that. Okay, <laughs> go. I think it's an interesting time because with the pandemic, I think we've seen the general public's awareness of the link between the built environment and how it can impact health really elevate, right? And so as we're hopefully coming out on the other side of that, uh, I think it's easier for people to then now make the jump to how design can support addressing things like climate change and equity. And I think, you know, because so much has happened with those things all in the last couple of years, it's very front of mind. We know that we have so much work to do. And so I think in some respects, it's, we're sort of on the brink of crisis with so many of those things. And it's so front of mind for people that it's, you can't help but know that it's an issue and that we have to address it. So the challenge for us is to educate ourselves and educate clients about how their decision-making process and the design that we're offering for them can help address those issues. Uh, and I think it's, um, I don't know, it's exciting. We're seeing a lot of walking around Neocon, uh, you know, Whereas I'm seeing a lot more manufacturers. It used to be a couple of years ago, you would say, hey, do you guys have environmental product declarations for these? And everyone would sort of like look at each other and side shuffle and be like, what? (laughs) And so I think just the awareness on the manufacturing side and being able to, to talk about that, like I've seen that increase, you know, 200% since we were here four years ago. So I think that, that that's all positive. Uh, and, you know, it is, a, it is very much a, a process about education. I think they're all huge issues. And so, you know, no one sector of the industry can get there alone. We've got to be having conversations and working together and figuring out solutions. And I think also particularly for interior design specifically, there's kind of this emerging understanding of it's been so focused on kind of the big the big architecture moves like how you orient your site and what you're doing with your concrete and all of that stuff when you're thinking about carbon and uh you know operation and embodied carbon and i think now interior design is really emerging as also a critical player in that so it's i'm very optimistic that a lot of things are kind of coming together and as we've been working on the ASID committee, we've commented on that. It's so many people in the industry are kind of coming to this pivotal decision at this moment in time and realizing like now is when we have to act. We have to encourage each other and and start addressing it now. So it's, I think it's good that everybody's kind of coming to that realization now. And now Perkins and Will is leading the way. They're, you guys are amazing. You're the, you're the gold star for the rest <laughs> of us. And, uh, you know, it's well, we're a small firm, so it's a little hard to, 
to to well. Well, you're we're doing not, you're doing yeah, but your we're not even share, we're not but, uh, even keeping up. But you you're setting the bar, and it's great to have that. Now, yes. UK Perkins and Willis got a net zero twenty thirty goal, or is that you guys as well? So we're uh, we the firm just released our carbon forecasting tool, okay, uh, which is. At the moment, we're just trying to understand and set operational and embodied carbon goals on all of our projects. Within our interiors practice, we're looking to give clients a roadmap to get to net zero embodied carbon. We know that we can't get, there's always going to be some embodied carbon associated with construction and power and stuff. But how can we, through our material selection and our design strategies, you know, reduce the amount of materials we're using, be thoughtful about the ones that we do have to specify to get the embodied carbon associated with the product as low project as low as we can uh, so that for clients who want to get to net zero, that that threshold with offsets is as small as possible. That's the goal. We're finding it's also thinking about the end of life of our projects mm-hmm. and what's going to happen. You know, tenant renovations are interesting because they're there for 10 years, maybe 15 years with a lease. And then all that stuff gets ripped out and we start from yeah. fresh, right? So how can we think about our buildings as material banks? How And I think there's an opportunity for designers to sort of reinvent ourselves a little bit as as carbon consultants and work with general contractors and work with building owners to not just always white box stuff, but identify opportunities to, you know, divert stuff from landfills, reuse, salvage. How can we build, you know, material networks so that there's a bigger supply of salvaged materials? Uh, You know, how can we feed that? So I think there's a little bit of a pivot going on in that renovation cycle and that we don't just walk away from a project. It's it's new design work. It is. Really? It is. I mean, there's an opportunity for a revenue stream there. Hopefully Just from a, like, cold hard business case, right? There is an opportunity there. And and there has to be. Hopefully it's not a little bit of a pivot. Hopefully it's a big pivot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's fair. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, you didn't. I was just saying that that's, like, that is design work. That's what we should be paying designers to do that as well as the other things so um, I'm also curious you know because we were talking this morning you know carbon levels reached an all-time high in 2022 yet we've been designing lead projects since 1993 yeah we've been publishing corporate responsibility reports for the last 20 years what do you think needs to happen honestly like do you ever sit down and think about it and say all right Perkins and Will is doing some amazing stuff I'm working my ass off, right? Like, what is it going to take to have a year that people go, holy crap, carbon levels actually decreased last year. Are we going to get there? I mean, we have to, right? Like, yeah. We, we have but, to. But you're in an industry that contributes about 40% right. of the carbon. Right. It's mind-blowing. I mean, I again, it's it's a big pivot in our mindset about how we value things. You know, for better or worse, we're a consumer-driven economy, right? And so, you know, we have, I think we have to sort of change the the view of what's beautiful, that it isn't always new, right? And thinking about materials differently, you know, how do we balance all of this new emerging materials technology with sort of the traditional sort of beautiful carbon sequestering natural materials that humans have been working with for, you know, all of our, you know, history. Like, and I think being more thought new isn't always the best solution, right? It's sometimes it is, but sometimes, sometimes how can we be creative? And I think it's, there's a little bit of this idea that, and I've, I've totally suffered from this too, right? Like when somebody's like, well, we want to, you know, keep half of our existing space and then just do that. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's that moment of like, oh. Because we kind of want th- this idea of this clean palette, right? Yeah. Like I want to have this fresh We need to get rid of that. Slate, right? And yeah. we do. Yeah. And Can't instead do think of ourselves as problem solvers and see that as a challenge yeah. to keep that stuff and still be creative. How yeah. do you modify it to meet goals without necessarily having to redo yeah. it? 
I know Avi from Metropolis has said yep. this many times. The num the best thing you can do for climate change is to do nothing, build nothing. Or maybe yep. it was AIA that said that, which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, right. It might have been <laughs> Since right. they build a lot of yeah. built new buildings. Right. Stop <laughs> right. building buildings. Right. That's, it's just like we say, you know, stop buying new furniture. I don't think there's a manufacturer in this building that would That's say crossing their That's fingers a great idea. for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But that is the best solution. Stop making new furniture. Yeah. Stop making I mean that's just radical. It's growth. That's creating the, the, the carbon levels yep. that we're seeing. It's growth. It's growth of population. It's it's business growth. It's sales growth. It's all that stuff. So well, there's tough. an opportunity just like, you know, if, if designers are thinking in terms of how can we deconstruct this space, manufacturers can think about how their products can be deconstructed and then reconstructed into, it's still a new product. It's just yeah. made out of components that have already been fabricated. So I think yeah. there's still an opportunity there. Yeah. It's just thinking about our palette of resources yeah. a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I think awesome. Then we'll see, you know, some of these supply, you know, equity issues in our supply chain start to be addressed through things like that. We'll see all this raw material extraction that's, you know, having these detrimental effects on fence line communities. All of that stuff will start to then uh, you know, also hopefully be addressed so many yeah, interrelation interrelated so issues we just learned about slave labor in the construction oh industry God. last yeah. night but we yeah. don't yeah. have time Designed to get into it yeah. Yeah. but right yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's so incredible and it's, a everything you learn something new you're like oh my god like yeah. i've got to think about that yeah. now too so it can well, be exciting or challenging and or overwhelming, overwhelming. Yeah. but we got to keep moving yeah. forward and super excited for all your good work in this area and leading the way. We need smart people like David. We do. Absolutely. To, to, to push this thing. So thanks for taking the Neocon hot seat with us for a few minutes today, Thank buddy. You. Thank you. So nice to see you and have you. Good to see you guys too. All right, buddy. All right, John. We have our next hot Berta. seat guest. Today has been a busy morning. Oh, All kinds of gosh. people stopping in. Today, this morning, although I'm super excited about Rebecca Matheny. She is with The Ohio State University. The and, Woo and the reason I asked her to come talk to us is because we had the most amazing conversation at ICFF. We, I mm -hmm. ran into Rebecca and Royce. Yep. You guys yep. worked together at The Ohio State. And uh, we actually had you two on a very early episode. Yes. And yeah. we were having the best conversation about education and sustainability and how right. to get this next generation of students to, to how to get, well, level set, learn, um, understand the issues, and then understand how really designers are the solution and right. how they can... To, to empower them to, right. to do... It's really that design thinking mindset, right? And understanding what the big wicked problem is and how we use our skill set across multiple different channels to make a more sustainable impact, both environmentally, socially, economically, uh, globally, locally. You know, there's so many layers to the sustainability problem. Um, and I find that within the education you know, system um, for interior design and architecture, it tends to be that there's like a sustainability course. But if we're really going to get them to truly understand the multifaceted problem solving aspect of sustainability, it's got to be curricularly integrated at all levels. So it's a scaffolding. So Ooh. that's what we were really talking about is like, like how that. do we right, scaffold right. up so that by the time they're seniors, they can really do all different platforms and address even bigger problems. So, you know, in our curriculum, we start by introducing what is biophilia. And we introduce it in the materials class. We do a studio where they look at it. They look at well-building standards early on. So they're looking at psychology while they're taking their GE education. And a lot of them are taking psychology or intro to psych. So they're able to connect the dots, not just in the design curriculum, but across their general education curriculum, which is interesting. And that's something that's really fascinating at Ohio State is we're actually looking at changing, we are changing the GE curriculum so that students can actually choose a sustainability track 
And so as part of my work there, I'm on the Sustainability Institute, affiliated faculty with them. And we're involved in delineating what courses. So in our department, we're actually trying to bring GE courses to non-designers oh, wow. so mm-hmm. that they can look at design thinking from a sustainability approach. So that way it doesn't yeah. go just to designers, but it permeates all different area of work. So this is a sustainability track for the entire college. Yes, the for the entire, entire university. university. Wow. So not just the College of Arts and Sciences, but I'm, I'm focused on those courses, but how um, students in engineering or biology or, you know, uh, economics can take a track focused on sustainability in all of their other GE courses. Amazing. This is kind of this is kind of blowing my mind right now cuz I never Told really Told you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Again, you brought somebody on who's a lot smarter than I am and it's <laughs> Well, really we work together annoying. too, John, in like other things. So That's true. That's true. We just got done talking to David Cordell and yep. listening to David talk about what he's doing really mirrors what you're talking about when you're talking about the scaffolding and you're trying mm-hmm. to scaffold up and you're creating this this network um, because that's kind of what David was talking about too and don't you think that this is going to elevate the value of the profession because designers it's not just going to be about and it hasn't been for a while mm-hmm. creating pretty spaces right but now it's about as David was explaining now it's about understanding product life cycle and how, how are we going to take this product back and right. keep it out of the landfill and what about these materials can we repurpose this stuff these are questions I 100% agree and that's where when we were talking on the podcast you know a year or so ago um, I collaborate with Royce on this generation scrap project yeah. and yeah. we've done it now for five years and the objective is sort of twofold so there's two parts to the project and the first part is what do Gen Z what do the students see as design's influence on the future? So they're doing like a trend forecast. But then to make it tangible and realized in the design realm, they have to translate it into an actual carpet design for Mohawk. That's why it's a sponsored project. But they filter it through the lens of global waste mitigation. So it is about a circular product design. And so the students are coming up with ideas like, what if we look at climate refugee migration patterns? What is the waste stream from them? Can we utilize that waste to actually turn it into a carpet that tells the story both visually and material waste-wise and then apply it in an application like healthcare where those refugees might end up as a need for their... You know, so it's this holistic approach. And it's really interesting. That project is... Um, now five years completed so we're really excited because in the fall we're doing a five-year retrospective (laughs) as a gallery exhibition and mohawk's gonna actually prototype some of the students designs so that they're full scale and we're hoping to eventually take it on the road on the road hopefully maybe this year next time um you know this time next year we'll be able to see it here at neocon or something so i i love how you're T- training these students to a- not to ask the right questions or different questions or and early ask- on right yeah. right you know, this, this project we were just talking about that's a sophomore level course yeah so it's the first introduction to sustainability as a sophomore level but then they carry it right into all of the subsequent classes and that's what we're talking yeah. about with like scaffolding yeah. and a dot connecting yeah because well, as designers we solve we solve problems right. but we're going to keep solving old problems if we don't start asking new questions right and yeah. seeing the value you know i think what's really important I, what i'm Sorry. so passionate about as being an educator is that being able to look at those youth generations and what their values are yeah. you know i yeah. found in another class i teach that academic you know the education space designing for our higher education the designers were designing with what their lenses were for what the students thought that they wanted but when they start asking the students the questions it's a totally different value set it's a totally different need set and so integrating that youth generation into the problem solving and actually valuing their voice is becoming I think really important to your point John like you know with the work of outcomes of design it is really about understanding the research methods up front so that we can solve the, ask the right questions to develop the right strategy to yeah, get the yeah. long-term future-driven results at the end yeah. that we can actually measure. I mean, I, I can't, I'm so excited that like you're building a generation of designers, which is kind of crazy. Fingers crossed. But, yeah. you, you know, you mentioned, you know, the product 
telling its story, right? Mm-hmm. But what you're really doing, and Verda, I'm thinking about our conversation with Lauren yesterday. So here was a, I think Lauren, beautiful young designer, very early in her career, brilliant storyteller, right? Which she was lucky that she kind of learned it. She had a mentor in Verda, but not every designer has that. But right. I, now I'm thinking what you're really doing is you're teaching a generation of designers to storytell which is what they need to do for their clients. Right. And I think storytelling is so important and that goes back to the values, right? Understanding the values of the client, but also understanding the values of who that client is trying to attract to their space, whether that's an office space, higher education learning environments, and and retention. So we've just gone through like the great resignation and I was doing a research project on the future of workplace and that was one of the aspects. How do we attract and retain employees? And that's really understanding the value system of them and translating it into the environment as a destination to attract people there. And what does that mean? And sustainability, as we're all passionate about it, but sustainability is a major driving force to that. And um, again, not just environmentally, but socially too, that a company can't just, you know, talk the talk. They actually have to walk the walk. And it's not just about putting environmental graphics up that say, we believe in this, or look at our statistics. Oh, God, it's actually creating so right. spaces yeah. programmatically that translate that. And you know that from your work too, yeah, professionally, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Now, we were just talking a little bit before we got on that we inspired you with our podcast. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think this new way of communicating is really fascinating in that so many people are you know, not necessarily reading, but listening. And they're doing it while they mow their lawn or take their walk or get out into nature or whatever. And so I was thinking about, well, what is the future of education? We've just gone through this like new hybrid pandemic thing. And so how do we get educational content to our students in a way that's digestible, relatable, and again, youth generations. And I teach an interesting class during the summer for tra- graduate students in transitional data analytics. So you might ask like, why? Oh my God, that's so fascinating. <laughs> data analytics. So. Right? <laughs> Wait like, for it, John. What? Wait for it. <laughs> why data analytics and why are designers teaching to data analysts? Um, and it's really interesting because they want that design thinking mindset um, and how to think in a creative way rather than just linearly, but cyclically and that fuzzy front end in the you know, data collection, data analyst aspect to the students. And so it's a new kind of way of teaching what data analysts are doing. And so the podcast inspired me to do that as part of my curriculum. So I do this series called Coffee with Creatives, and I'm interviewing people from, you know, Google and Facebook and the Sierra Club and, you know, colleagues in the Department of History and Disney and all these different people. So creatives that aren't traditionally thought of as creatives. Right, exactly. But they're using design thinking. They're using the creative side of their brain in their research, in their way of doing um, for their clients, for their companies. And it helps us understand that design research can be cross-platform. And if you take it into these other areas, it creates better problems or, I guess, more refined human-centered problems as defined um, and then, therefore, better solutions to those, too. It's totally. 170 degrees outside, but I'm going to have a little more bounce in my step after talking to Rebecca. She's like, <laughs> she the best? otherwise, I get, Verda knows, I get like Johnny, you know, Doomer. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big climate optimist. Doomer. Yeah, good for you. Rebecca Bring me and up. I just, we were talking about just starting a, a salon or a, just a, a weekend, a once a month just getting online together and just yeah. talking and having conversation, like discussing yeah, because I mean, we yeah. talked at ICFF about so many other. I, like, I didn't want to go back to the show. I know, I didn't either. <laughs> I know. And it's, I think it's so important to feed each other's soul and surround yourself with people who are eager and interested in making change and like helping elevate us. And I, I love that that's yeah. where we're going in the future. Yep. Is that it's not a competitive landscape anymore. It's not about oppressing others so that you can rise to the top, but all of us like banding together, collaborating to be able to make really big impacts and change. Absolutely. Ah. And having these conversations. Okay. One more time. When and where can we see this generation scrap exhibit? Oh, awesome. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Generation scrap. uh, We are launching it as part of Columbus design week in Ohio state's urban art space. 
it will go live October 1st. Well, we have an opening reception September 31st um, through the end of October. So it's up for an entire month. And if it all goes well, well, Royce and I will be presenting our Gen Scrap CEU, which is also um, available for anyone on on demand okay. um, on Mohawk's platform so you can go watch ours and we actually have a former student speaking on that too I think it's important to elevate their oh, voices yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. so we always try to bring them in and then the student exhibition will have tw- um, 18 student projects on display all talking about climate issues um, and then we'll have nine projects prototyped and if it all goes well hopefully we'll see it on the road in other places other textile yeah. weeks neocon type events um we're really excited about it to bring the student voice to to the public yeah i hope it does go on the road awesome thank you so much you are a busy girl thanks for spending some time with us you guys inspire me so well you inspire us enjoy the rest of neocon thanks you too All right, John, do you want to start this one? Hey, uh, yeah, we're, uh, man, the, the, the Neocon hot seat continues. It does. And, and now we have two butts in the Neocon hot seat that are doing some pretty cool things. And we wanted these guys to come back and talk to us. We have Judd Rosengart. We have Dave Bryant. And they're both doing a lot in the industry. We we talked with somebody yesterday that CCB CCB who works with Dave yeah. back in California. And Dave's doing some amazing things with her, but but these guys are going to tell us. I wanted to hear first of all. I wanted an update on these guys started Heirloom, so we talked about Heirloom on a previous episode. Long story short. Um, Heirloom, and I should probably let you guys give us a quick before we get into it, in case somebody doesn't know who Heirloom is. So, Dave, Judd, uh, well, first of all. Heirloom is a, it's great. It's the idea that furniture should last not just one lifetime, but many lifetimes if it's well built. And it does, right? Furn- yeah. Good furniture can last hundreds of years. And so you guys are trying to figure out a way to make this idea of legacy popular, right? Yeah. Which is crazy. And Verda, that was perfectly done. Perfectly done. Great. But it's crazy because hey, let me just I'm I'm really jumping around a little bit right now. <laughs> when Maybe are we gonna the let them talk? In. I know. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm gonna. But I do think it's heirloom is crazy because it's a concept of of preserving classical design pieces or recognizing when you've got a classic piece of design and keeping it out of the landfill, which is our biggest problem right now. Yeah, and I think when we use the word timeless, right? Timeless should mean it should last forever, not only from a design perspective, but also from a build quality and materiality and, and how we look at that piece down the road. So Heirloom is Heirloom's a technology company and Heirloom is the mechanism to ensure the circular economy exists in our industry because we have to stop throwing things out. We have to attack sustainability with common sense and no matter what we do on the front end, if we throw it out on the back end, it still ends up in a landfill. Yeah. And right now we're, we're tracking 12 million tons of furniture a year and that's got to slow down. That's um, a lot, man. It's it's insane, and it's and it's increasing, right? So it's it's our job here, and even in Neocon this week, we're seeing we're seeing the word circular a lot, which is exciting because it's it's prevalent in the industry. It's it's a big topic, and you know the word sustainability's got to get broken down into smaller pieces, or we're never going to get there. So I'll let Dave give an update on sort of where heirloom is, and and I think it's almost been a year since we chatted, which I. I can't believe yeah, it. Yeah, we'd love to hear. It. We're yeah. le- we'd love to hear yeah. where it's gone since the last time we talked. Dave's been sitting patiently. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the QR code with the stories. Dave's a storyteller, so I know he's Jones and to like oh, start yeah. talking. Oh, he's like yeah. exploding. <laughs> yeah, heirloom's been great. I mean, what a journey. We're a little over one years old, and we never thought that. I don't think we ever imagined that our industry would pick up on this. Um, the support that we've gotten from from end users and the design community has been overwhelming. And it's almost like they want it and are willing it to be successful, which is what tells us that we're onto something, right? And and so the stories of people coming up and telling us personal stories about heirloom means something to me and people will explain stories of furniture that they have in their families. And I think it's great that we're doing this in the workplace now. And we're hearing stories from people who last night I was at, uh, at, a, at, a, at a happy hour here at Neocon and somebody came up, she goes, I'm a breast cancer survivor. And there's a group of us that are really binding together to want to make, and she's a designer, and we're binding together to make better decisions because cancer is rampant and we know it's a part of the the environment. 
And so knowing that the decisions that they can make in the workplace through telling stories, personal stories through some of these classic pieces of furniture is inspiring. That's what sticks. Once you yeah. have personal connections, then it sticks. Storytelling right? is powerful. Yeah, and I, I honestly, the first time we talked to you, you know, I think we talked about this, but do you think Heirloom is asking furniture manufacturers to make less furniture? Or do you think that furniture manufacturers are going to look at Heirloom and say, all right, rather than being on the back end of this, maybe we should make stuff that Heirloom is going to say, this could be a classic design piece. Let's work with you and keep it out of the landfill. Yeah, I think I think Heirloom has, um, I think what Heirloom is doing, and Judd refers to it, we almost kissed on the mic there. That was awesome. <laughs> it's a, you guys um, have a great relationship. There should be a video of this, actually. Um, I think, I think, Judd, Judd talks about this a lot that heirloom is really a movement. We talk about it a lot. Heirloom is really a movement, right? And it's and it's really getting us all behind it. And it, what we think heirloom is starting to do is it's starting to build this demand that the industry needs to step up to. When the design community says what we have right now isn't good enough and we won't specify it, and when clients say the current state of the industry and the furniture and then the pieces that we're buying do not help us meet our ESG strategies. We just won't buy it. And so we think that the natural repercussion of that is the furniture industry will still continue to make furniture. They're just going to be forced to either if they're going to play with companies that are thoughtful about living their values and their employees who do so as well, they're going to have to design and be thoughtful and bring back craftsmanship to a disposable industry quite frankly and to be more thoughtful about that and to allow stories to be told about these new pieces that are going to come some already exist but great examples of that are here at OFS they launched a chair called the zero chair at Neocon they launched it as the very first heirloom product that's ever been launched when the product hit the market and they got the best of Neocon sustainability award not just because of heirloom but because of all the thoughtfulness that went into the design and it's heirloom yeah so that's that's where we think the industry is headed and as the design community leans into that and as end users say enough is enough we're not going to dispose of this anymore it's going to positively and we're hopeful and we're optimistic influence the type of products that get designed and I think there's a business model here, kind of a service model where, and you guys are doing this with Heirloom, where you ref, refurbish a product, right? And you've got local, you're connecting with local shops that can do that in every region of the world. And so as this gets further down the road, I love thinking big and thinking far, you know, manufacturers will start making, that'll be their, their model, their, their business model is a service model where they're taking care of these products that they've brought into the world. And I, and I think that's part of the challenge too is there isn't necessarily for larger manufacturers a mechanism in place for them to be able to take furniture back. Right, so that's why they still look at planned obsolescence as part of their business model because they're forced to not have to take it back because it's not in their system. But when we can sort of look at the industry holistically and, and we have the different players, the design community, the end user community, the dealer community, the maker community, there there is pressure that we can all apply to each other that it's gonna force us to make good decisions, right? Yeah, and, and I'm really curious because as you're talking, this thought kind of um, formulated in my mind, we all talk about the value of certifications, okay? So that a consumer can look and say, wow, boxes have been checked. I don't have to peel away the layers. I have a label here. Is Heirloom headed in that direction where a manufacturer can say, you know what? We'd like to be able to have this chair partner with Heirloom and be a part of that program. What do we have to do in our process for Heirloom to say, this is an heirloom item is or is it subjective like oh that's beautiful design it's well crafted it's heirloom so i think there's a few pieces to that right so it's it, there is some subjectivity to it but it's also collaborative and when we even in this showroom here today right there's beautiful furniture there's new products there's beautiful things that are coming out and 
imagine imagine we're the folks out broadcasting in front of a window right now yeah, and some young bowl. woman just went dancing yep. by cheering for Joe. Okay. Um, and he kept his and he kept his 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 and I have no idea who it was. Um, <laughs> no. uh, Not a big fan. This is our this is our this is our, our sustainable fishbowl right here. Um, so when we look at everything that's in this space, I don't think there's one piece of furniture that any manufacturer, any maker at Neocon design with the hope that it was going to get thrown out. Right? And this is there's a lot of pride that goes into these new products and the design with it. So to your question, you know, we we want to look at this from the front end, which there's a lot of sustainability check marks, like you said, uh, whether there's HPD, Redless Free, uh, but we also, well, Heirloom is focused on the back end. It can't, we can't just focus on sustainability from the front end because we don't have a mechanism on the back. Yep. And I think ideally for us, when we're working with different RFQs and designers and bids, we want to see Heirloom on there, right? Obviously, for us, it's, it's, it's selfish to be part of the movement, but it's good for the environment, right? And that's the most important. So I think long-term, we would love we would love Heirloom to have the certification that allows products to be showcased as we're thinking about where they're gonna go on the backside. That's the cool thing, right? It's not so much identifying a piece after the fact, like, you know, that, that you think is a design classic, let's keep, let's save it, but rather now, maybe we get manufacturers to design for design classics. So we talked to Elizabeth Whalen, who showed us a textile she's working on that could eliminate foam because the textile wow. uh, handles that function. And the challenge that we've always had on the manufacturing side of things is to sell value to a consumer who may not be knowledgeable or educated. Sometimes manufacturers have to do things that are not necessary. For example, if I want the consumer to know that this task chair is worth $800, I'm going to add as much adjustability and knobs and levers and doohickeys as possible so the consumer says, holy crap, I sure am getting a lot for my money. And if I instead design an amazing chair that doesn't have all of that, maybe the consumer will say, how could that be worth $800? Right? So we're kind of getting to a point where the industry needs to wake up and, and be more aware of where is value in design. And maybe it's not always in your face. Maybe it's in the story that there's one bolt that has to be removed for disassembly. Maybe consumers need to start thinking about something like disassembly. And maybe that needs to be more important than the color of the chair. You know what I mean? Like that we have to get to that level of consumerism. And it changes the design in the process, right? It makes everything more thoughtful. Because if the furniture does a certain thing, then the textiles need to be able to support the design of that furniture. And so it's an ecosystem all of a sudden yeah. that works inter interdependently yeah. to be able to create change. And that's yeah. what we need. Awesome. Yeah. All awesome. right. Well, good Thanks luck with Heirloom. Time. Yeah. Good luck, you guys. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Always fun to do this. Okay, Verda, that was it. Episode two of Live from Chicago. Man, that was fun. I want to go back to Chicago and do it again. <laughs> How about not till next June? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it does kind of make me remember those days when you were like in school and you hated school, but you liked your friends. Yeah. And so when you were away on break, you were always like, oh, I miss my friends. Does that mean you hate Neocon? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a love-hate relationship. Neocon is something that I think we all look forward to and all dread a little bit because it's such a huge thing and it's exhausting. It's a, it's a schlep. But yes, we get to see everybody, all the people that we love from around the nation, around the world, all in one place. And it's kind of incredible, but it's so exhausting. And then it's kind of crazy how like by the last day, it's just ghost town. It's like, Yep, Neocon is over. It's done. We're all packing up and going home until next year. And that's it's the it's the corporate equivalent of the end of a three day music festival where yeah. all the kids are just laying in the grass, passed out and you know, hung over and there's just nothing left in the tank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do have to say what was real exciting about this Neocon and about all the people that we talked about was it does seem like there's been quite a huge shift in the last 
I'd say a couple of years towards sustainability and everybody's talking about it and everybody's addressing it in some way in every showroom, small and large. And that's super exciting. And I can't wait until next year to see how, how these companies step up and do even more. Well, nothing would make me happier than for us to be doing a live from Chicago season two. So let's hope we get to that point. Why not? <laughs> it's going to have to happen in June of 2023. <laughs> Woohoo! Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Anyway, did you have a favorite? It's like picking your favorite kid, I guess. But No, they were all great. <laughs> <laughs> You're you? such a diplomat. Did you? I tell you what, I, it's hard to have a favorite. You're right. They are all great. And what I really liked about these two episodes is that all these conversations were so different, right? I mean, everybody from Todd Bracher to Elizabeth Whalen to Rebecca Metheny and um, your friend, uh, Carolyn, I mean, they were all really different conversations, which I was excited about. Well, and I think that it echoes what we've been learning and and talking about in all of our podcasts is that it's a big problem. It's a systems problem. They're all interrelated and we have to tackle the problem from every different angle. And that's what these people are doing. And it's very exciting to see that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's systemic. So, all right, there, there it was. Goodbye, Neocon. Until <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> see you in 2023. If you've enjoyed today's episode, drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. To hear more trailblazers taking on the world's issues through the lens of design, visit us at breaksomedishes.com. I'm Verda Alexander. And I'm John Strasner. And you've been listening to Break Some Dishes. <laughs>